All of us face tough stuff. If you haven't, you will. There are many things that take place on any given day that cause us to question. We question our strength. Anybody been there? Do I have what it takes to go on? We question our own decisions. Should have done this, should have done that, should have, could have, would have, but you can't go back and change it. We question other people's decisions. Why did they do fill in the blank? And we begin to question other people's decisions. We may even question where God is and what he's trying to do in our lives at the moment that we're going through the tough stuff. Well, today I want to talk about one of the toughest things to get through, and that's bruised relationships. There's one thing I found out over the last few years that there are many people going through through difficult circumstances behind closed doors that no one else knows about. And you begin to sense that there's some really difficult strains on relationships. Things that have bruised the relationship to the point of, you wonder if the relationship's going to make it. As husbands and wives, we want strong relationships with our spouses. I've always rather, I've always said, I'd rather say goodnight than goodbye. I mean, the reason we get married is because we want to spend our lives together with our mate, and we have the best of intentions as we stand at the altar that day. I mean, this is our one forever best friend that's going to be there forever, and we just assume because that's our intention, and that's our sincere desire, and then something comes up that bruises those relationships, and they kind of fall apart. Couldn't wait to see that person every chance that you had. And the slightest little, slightest little misunderstanding that had the potential of getting between you two, you just dealt with it because, man, you're in love. Or how about as parents? We want strong relationships with our children. We want that open communication that makes it easy to talk about anything. And then something comes in and bruises the relationship and it's not dealt with rightly. Or maybe even as older parents whose kids are grown or nearly grown, we want great relationships with our children, you know, that special bond that allows a friendship based on mutual respect and deep appreciation stemming from love and experience. And yet what we see oftentimes is older parents with grown children who won't speak to each other or they can't get along. As long as it's on the surface, as long as it's on, on, on a superficial level, as long as it's just, hey, how you doing? And the pat answer is great. They're all okay. But dig a little bit deeper, prod a little bit deeper, and all of a sudden World War III breaks out. As friends, you desire this special relationship in which you can share or say anything. Your deepest thoughts, your deepest dreams, your emotions. Knowing that what you say is safe and appreciated. We want those, don't we? In fact, as I put out this memo to some of our folks, I said, what is it that you really struggle with? One of the biggest things that came back was relationships that are genuine, that are authentic, that are real. But yet there's a superficial shallowness. I don't really trust that person to really say how I'm really feeling because they're going to blab it. Or I really don't feel like I can be honest because if I do, it'll be misconstrued or misunderstood in some way and there's going to be a bruised relationship as a result. We all want those great relationships. But what happens when those relationships get bruised? And by that I mean what happens when something comes in between and puts that relationship in jeopardy? Well, today I'd like to address this topic. 
You know, we could sit there and we could talk about a dozen, a dozen or more, two dozen, three dozen things that bruise the relationships. But I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, it really does come down to a couple of things. It comes down to selfishness. It comes down to pride and arrogance. It comes down to jealousy. And really, all that is just another word for what? Sin. When sin creeps into the life of a person, as Dr. Ola used to always say, no one sins in a vacuum. Our sin affects not only ourselves and our relationship with God, but our sin affects everybody around us. And it doesn't matter if one person's working just perfectly and the other person's in sin, when those two try to have a godly relationship, it's going to be bruised. Unless both people are living for the Lord. I can tell you in years of doing counseling in my office, and people come in and say, yeah, here's a couple, they're about ready to get divorced, and the first thing they want to do is they think the pastor's going to unload on the person who is right. But I learned a long time ago, there are no innocent parties in broken relationships. And I remember sitting down and hearing this lady just go like machine gun fire on what her husband had done wrong. And as soon as she got, came up for air and you know, just about ready to go through another barrage, this guy got his machine gun going in action. And she starts firing off everything she was doing wrong. Both of them professing Christians. Both of them saying that they go to church regularly. And both of them at each other's throat ready to kill. And I just looked at the husband as the leader of the home. And I said, how's your walk with God right now? Seriously, how is it? When's the last time you spent time reading God's word and praying and asking God to help you with what you know is, is wrong in this relationship? And then I looked at her and I said, how is your walk with God? Both of them hadn't read their Bibles in months. Both of them were spending no time in prayer. Both of them were only missing church, you know, attending church sporadically. How in the world is God going to be in the middle of that relationship? See, it really does come down to, you know, we could say it's the selfishness, the pride, and the arrogance, and the jealousy. But it really comes down to sin. And whether or not you really want to deal with sin. It doesn't matter whether it's between a spouse, or a, a, a parent, and a child, or whether it's through a neighbor, and uh, with another neighbor, or, or whatever the relationship may be. When sin is involved, there will be bruising that may have terrible consequences. I think there are a couple of biblical examples of these characteristics and how they expose, and how, when I say they, the selfishness, the pride, the arrogance, the jealousy, lead to bruised relationships. So this morning, we're going to be jumping around. I hope that's okay if you can't keep up. I get it. I have been accused of going a little bit fast once in a while. So just hang on, catch up if you can. They'll be up there on the screen. But first of all, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. It's a very familiar passage. We're not going to spend a lot, a lot of time here. But I want to give you the basis of the story. And I think you can see how these characteristics have come in and have bruised the relationship to make it something other than what God would have expected. In Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11, if you would follow along as I read it, it says, He also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. So think about this just for a moment. Here's a son whose father has not yet died, who decides that he wants his share of his father's inheritance, or the inheritance from his father. 
And so, do you see any selfishness here? Do you see any arrogance, any pride, any jealousy? He's saying, I want what's coming to me, but I don't want to wait for it. I want it now. And here's what he does. Verse 13. It says, so not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he spent, see any pride and arrogance, see any jealousy there? Lack of contentment? Yep. So after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck, struck that country. He had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. I mean, here it gets to the point that he is so hungry, he had wasted all of his money, all of his inheritance, that he's willing to eat pig food. And even at that point, he couldn't have it. <coughs> so it goes on here. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick! Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because the son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now you think just for a moment, here's the son who's finally come to his senses. He's finally realized that he has one possible relationship that is still maybe... Fixed a little bit. So he, he humbles himself. He goes back to his father. And his father, who is what? Waiting for him to come back, sees him from afar and tells his servants, bring the fatted calf, bring the robe, put a ring on his finger. But he's not the only one in this relationship. There's another brother. <clears throat> we kind of hear about the prodigal who goes off and returns. <coughs> Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf, because he has him back safe and sound. And the older son is rejoicing, praising God that his prodigal brother has left, and he's returned, and he's come to his senses. No! Now his selfishness kicks in. Now his pride and arrogance sets in. And now his jealousy sets in. He became angry and did not want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with Prostitutes, you slaughtered the fat calf for him. Son, he said to him, You are always welcome with me, or you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, anytime selfishness comes into a relationship, anytime pride and arrogance comes into a relationship, anytime jealousy comes into a relationship, there is opportunity for bruising to take place. 
And what has to happen is that we need to be humbled in those circumstances. And it doesn't matter whether it's between two spouses. Somebody has to be willing to humble themselves and come to their senses and realize that this is not honoring to God. It is not pleasing to Him. See, we all have expectations, don't we? We all have expectations of what this relationship is all about. I mean, you know what it's like. I mean, you can't wait to get married, and you can't wait to start your family, and you can't wait to spend all the time in the world with your spouse, but then reality sets in. My expectations of being able to spend every waking moment with that person is only cluttered by a thing called work. And work gets in the way of my relationship. But pretty soon, work takes the dominant role. And time with the spouse becomes less and less. And then selfishness sets in. Oh, I've got to do this, and I've got to go here, and I've got to spend time with this person. And if we're not careful, what needs to be in the relationship is pushed out. True biblical love. We all have expectations, but what happens when our expectations are not met? Bruising takes place. You see, there's another, rela- there's another relationship example that we see in God's Word. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 2, if you would turn there. 1 Samuel chapter 2. I'm not going to go through the whole passage, but 1 Samuel chapter 2 tells a story of a father who has two sons. Actually, he has more than that. But two sons became quite famous. Let me ask you a question just for a moment. If you as a parent, when you begin to have those children, I mean, you realize that your kids are smarter than any other kids, right? I mean, you just, they're more beautiful, they're more handsome, they're more, I mean, they're special because they're yours. Every parent in the world thinks they've got the best kids known to earth. And you know what? We all believe that. And we have expectations for them. We have expectations that our kids will grow up and be healthy, we have expectations that they're going to be productive. They're going to be people of character who will work hard and provide for their families. And they're just going to go on their merry way and you know, life is going to happen and everything's going to be grand and the rest of the story. But what happens when that doesn't happen? What happens when your expectations for your kids are dashed? What do you do then? Sometimes, as they say, you have to learn the hard way and they have to go through some bumps and bruises and sometimes get knocked down a little bit. But you know what I find is I can't make decisions for my kids. There comes a point when your kids are responsible for their own decisions. And they'll have to pay the price and the consequence for those choices they make. But what happens when they don't make right choices and strong choices and good good choices? It weighs us down because we want to fix it. That's what we do as parents. We want to fix it, right? We want to make it all better. We want things to be different. But sometimes that's not the case. Here we got a priest, or Eli, who's got some kids here who aren't living for the Lord. In fact, if you look in verse 12, <clears throat> it says, Eli's sons were wicked men. I mean, how many of you parents want to hear that? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the statement of the day you want to wake up. Hey, yeah, I just want to let you know your kids are wicked. Thank you. Appreciate those kind words. Oh, none of us wants to hear those kinds of words about our kids. He says, they were wicked men. They did not respect the Lord. Or the priest shared the sacrifices from the people. When anyone offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged meat fork. And while the meat was boiling, let me just just break it down here. He said, skip the process. I don't want just the meat that is boiled with the fat off it. 
Just give me all the meat. I'll cook it myself and eat it how I want it. Wait a minute. Wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. You have to understand, the priest, that food was sacrificed. It was meant to be an, a, a sacrifice to the Lord. Skip, skip the details. I'll, I'll do it how I want to do it. Can you imagine the brazen attitude of a couple of men who were religious, who were priests, who were selfish and arrogant and proud and jealous Dad was having a hard time dealing with it. Didn't want to deal with it, quite frankly. <coughs> and God says, wait a minute. This ain't going to go on like this. There comes a time as a parent, you have to, as the phrase says, let go. And let God deal with it however he's going to deal with it. And that's probably, I'm not going to bend, I'm speaking from scripture, not from experience. I can only imagine how difficult that would be to say, you are in God's hands. But can I also say this? Isn't that where God wanted us to be when that child was given to us as a baby? Because it's not your child. Right? Can I get an amen here? It's not your child. It's God's. And God has called us to be a steward. In other words, we get to manage the affairs of this child. We get to take care of that child for the Lord. He belongs to God. That means there comes a point where they will be suffering the consequences of their own choices, good or bad. I think Philippians 2, and we're going to be here just for a moment, shows us some characteristics that should be present in a right relationship. To keep them from becoming bruised. So if you would, take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 2. I think we see at least five practices here that we could do well to put into our lives. And the relationships that God allows us to be a part of. It's a familiar passage, but I want to highlight maybe just a different angle from these just for just for a moment. I want to read verses 1 through 8. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one's purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Then we see this again. Simplified in Jesus Christ, verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Five practices I think we can learn from this passage of scripture. Number one, practice fellowship with the Spirit with affection and mercy. You see, apart from being filled with the Spirit, we cannot make right decisions. I hope we understand that. Every day, see, we can either be filled with the flesh or filled with the Spirit. And as long as we're filled with the flesh, we're going to be selfish, right? I'm going to make everything in life revolve around what pleases me, what helps me, what helps me take another step to bring more glory to myself. 
But the opposite of being filled with the flesh is being filled with the Spirit. And as long as I'm praying daily from the moment I get up to the time I go to bed to be filled with the Spirit, to be walking in the Spirit, to make right decisions with the Spirit's help, we have the opportunity to be in a right relationship with others. But he says here in verse 1 and 2, if there's any encouragement in Christ and consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, affection and mercy, can you really truly give affection without the Spirit's help? Can you really exercise mercy without the Spirit's help in any relationship? I don't think you can. There comes a point there, a limit to what we can do in our flesh. We need the Holy Spirit to do this. So the first practice is to practice fellowship with the Spirit. Number two, practice the same love as Jesus. What was that? United in the Spirit, working together. You see that in verse two. End of the verse. United in the Spirit, intent on one purpose. So what is the purpose of relationships? It ultimately ought to be to bring glory to God through them. It's interesting to see how this works in the business world. Everybody's in relationships in the business world. Everybody has meetings all day long. They have meetings with this person and this salesman and that person over there. And what is the purpose of their relationships? Bring home the sale, right? Bring home the sale, you know, network so I can get me a, to a different level in my position. All kinds of selfish ways in which we can manipulate relationships to get ahead in life. But what happens when two people who are walking in Je with Jesus Christ, being filled with the Spirit, are united in the purpose of bringing glory to God? That's a relationship that will flourish. Whether or not I make the sale, whether or not I move up in my position, I'm still going to bring glory to God. And if you as a believer have that, and I as a believer have that, there's no limit to what God can do. But as soon as selfishness gets involved on one side or the other, it breaks down and bruises the relationship. Amos, chapter 3. If you can find that little book very quickly, go for it. Amos, chapter 3. I'm almost there. There we go. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, Can two walk together without agreeing to meet? We need to be agreeing together. In 2 Corinthians, let me pull over there just for a moment, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. These are also very familiar passages. Chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. I'm in 1 Corinthians. No wonder that's not working. 2 Corinthians. Try that again. Verses 14 and 15 says this. Don't become partners with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? And what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does the believer have in common with an unbeliever? Say, so is it really that big a deal? Yes, it is. Try having a business where one person is walking with God and the other one is not. Chaos. There are people in this church who can tell you from that experience. It causes problems. It bruises the relationship. There are people who have married an unsaved spouse. And you know that bruises the relationship and causes discord. 
all kinds of circumstances where one or the other is not saved, not walking with God, and it has caused all kinds of problems and turmoil and heartache. So there needs to be, as Jesus exemplified, unity in the Spirit working together with one purpose. Number three, practice humility. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, verse 3 tells us. Do nothing out of selfish conceit or ambition. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3, verse 3 says this. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, what's the phrase? He deceives himself. When anyone has, in, in a relationship, has the idea that they're better than the other person, that's just going to open the door for more problems. So whether it's a spouse, whether it's a child, whether it's a co-worker, a neighbor, relative, the lack of humility will bruise relationships. Number four, practice selflessness. Putting others ahead of yourselves. What's it tell us once again in our text? Uh, verses uh, three and four. We need to look not only on our own interests, but also the interests of others. In other words, are we willing to put the interests of others ahead of our own? Are we willing to look out for the needs of others? Or are we just so caught up in ourselves that we don't have time to help others? Boy, it just runs true in our lives, doesn't it, sometimes? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. I love this verse. And let us not be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Some of your translations say provoke. What does the word provoke mean? So often it has a negative connotation. We know what it means to provoke somebody, right? But God's word says don't provoke them to negative things, but provoke them unto love and good works. What if every relationship had the idea of, I'm going to help that person take another step. I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to help them. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to walk through the struggle with them. I'm going to be there when they need me. I'm going to provoke them to love and good works. I'm just going to make myself available to do with, with whatever they need to help them take another step in their walk with Jesus. But not only that, number five, practice having the attitude of Jesus. We see that in verse five. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. You know, remember for a while there, there was that bracelet, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Is anybody else kind of find that interesting? See, we know what Jesus would do. If you've been in church in any amount of time in your life, you know what Jesus would do question is, am I willing to do what Jesus would do? I don't know what you, but I can get real selfish. I mean, I want what I want. And I want it now. And if I want it again in ten minutes, I want it in ten minutes. Because it's what I want. And some of you are just like me. Because we're all human, we're all fleshly, we're all sinners. Right? We can be so selfish, so filled with the flesh. And we think that everything revolves around us, or at least we think it should anyway. And he says right there in verse 1, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, 
What is the motivation for doing all these things? 1 John 4, 19 says, We love him because he what? First loved us. We love because he first loved us. The whole motivation behind loving anyone is that he loved us. He allowed us to have a relationship with him. And everything that he shows us in Philippians chapter 2, he is exemplified. In verse 6, he says, Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality of God as something to be exploited. But verse 7, something we would all do, be, do well to copy in our lives. It says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Are we willing to humble ourselves? See, all of us have had relationships that have been bruised. And I learned this little principle from a friend in Indiana. Every once in a while, when there's a little tiff between us, just throw the grace card. Just throw the grace card. Just eat humble pie and suck it up and fix it. Are we willing to just throw the grace card once in a while? Even though you think you're right and the other person's wrong. It still comes back down to pride and arrogance and selfishness. I'm not budging because they're wrong. So what can I do if I'm involved in a bruised relationship? I wanted to share a quick excerpt that I found from Rick Warren. I thought it was really good. Just a little quick thing that I kind of adapted a little bit. So seven steps to restoring fellowship. Number one, talk to God before talking to the person. How often have we gone to tell them our mind, let them know what they're doing wrong, but we haven't even talked to God about it yet. In fact, James chapter 4. Verses 1 and 2 says this. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. Are we willing to just stop? Talk to God about the problem before we talk to the other person. And can I just say this? It's not a one-time conversation with God. Sometimes you need to talk with God daily. Sometimes it's throughout the day. Maybe it's for weeks on end before you talk to the other person. That's a hard step. Number two, take the initiative to work on the relationship. Take the initiative. You know what I found in life is that you wait for the other person to say, I'm sorry, guess what? You're going to be waiting a long time. Because they're not going to say it. Sometimes they'll never say it. But if you're waiting for it, you might be waiting in a lifetime to hear the words, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and you may never hear it. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. It says, Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, You must not break your oath, but you must keep the oaths. There we go. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong one. 23. 
So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister. And then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court. Or your adversary will hand, over, hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. What's he saying here? You got a gift? Don't, don't buy him off. Don't, don't pretend that you're going to sweep it under the carpet. Because quite honestly, there's no carpet big enough to sweep a pile of junk that thick under. He says, go deal with it. Take the initiative. If you're going to wait for the other person to do it, sometimes it'll never happen. Not on there. In Philippians, two four says this: Everyone should look out not only for his own interests but also the interests of others. What what is what is the interest that they have in this relationship? There's other verses there. Proverbs nineteen eleven. Are we willing to take the time? Says a person's insight gives him patience, and it's a virtue is to overlook an offense. There are sometimes in relationships that you have to just overlook it and understand the circumstance. And maybe that maybe we're both believers, but this person is not growing as fast as you are. Maybe this person's not spending as much time with the Lord as you are, and they're a little bit not, not maybe not quite as mature as you are in their faith. What's 1 Corinthians says? Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't think any evil. They didn't do it on purpose. I'm just going to give them that benefit of the doubt. They didn't do it on purpose. Maybe they did, but I'm not going to look at it that way. Because I'm responsible for my own attitude, my own actions. Romans chapter 15, verse 2. Got a large print, and my pages are not quite there yet. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 15, verse 2. It says, Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Is my interest in building other people up or tearing them down? Let them know how much better I am. Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. Gives us another one. Says hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will clearly see, or take the speck out of your brother's eye. Confess your part of the conflict. I've said before, and I'll say it again, there's no innocent parties. Whether it's attitude of the heart or mind, it usually takes two to tangle, as the old phrase says. What's your part in this? Is it pride? I didn't do anything. <laughs> You're already guilty of pride. Selfishness. Arrogance. Confess your part of the conflict. Because you're responsible for you. You can't make decisions for another person. God doesn't ask you to. But you have to deal with people. Number five. Attack the problem, not the person. We've heard that before. Attack the per problem, not the person. Psalm chapter 73, 
verses 21 and 22. It says this. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was thinking I, I was an unthinking animal towards you. What's he saying here? Man, guard your thoughts, guard your actions, how you go, go about this. Attack the person, deal with the problem. As they used to say, the problem is not the real problem. What's the real problem? Selfishness, arrogance, pride, jealousy. I want what I want in this relationship. Number six, we're almost here. Cooperate as much as possible. Cooperate as much as possible. Romans chapter 12. And verse 18 says this. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, live, with, live at peace with everyone. Cooperate as much as possible. And then one more. Number seven. Emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. There's a big difference between the two. You see, we want resolution. We want it to be done and over with right now. It's not always possible. Resolution, that means that there's an end, and it may not end right away. But we can reconcile. So emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. 1 Peter 3, verse 11 says, And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. That's our goal. We want it to be reconciled first and foremost to God, but then to the other person. Are you willing to do that? Emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. I don't know about you, but I need these kind of reminders. Because there are always going to be bruised relationships that we're a part of. Sometimes with our own kids. Sometimes with a neighbor. Sometimes with a friend. But how are you going to deal with it? Continue to let it be bruised? There's something, something sometimes we do this thing called uh, red space out in the brain. You've got this circumstance that just irritates you. I mean, it just, just angers the fire out of you that so-and-so did such-and-such. And it's got this little rental space right up there in your brain. And you're paying every month to keep it right there in that rental space. How are you paying for it? By thinking on it, by dwelling on it. By letting it rob you of your joy. Quit paying rent on that. You know what I found? Is that the circumstance that usually pays the rent, the other person doesn't care. A lot of times, they don't, they've moved on. You're still irritated, but they've moved on because they don't really care about reconciliation. But you're still paying rent on it because you, because you won't let it go. What does God want you to do through all this? I think it comes back to the situation where the couple is contemplating divorce is sitting right before me. And you put yourself in one chair and the person that you may have conflict with in a, re in a relationship in the other chair. And you have someone asking you this question. 
How's your walk with God? Are you reading your word? Reading the word? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you living it out, being filled with the Spirit, the bond of love? Are you busy keeping a record of all the things they've done and are still doing? And how you just wish they would get right? Can I just encourage you to talk to God about it? Can I encourage you to take the initiative to resolve it? Can I encourage you to sympathize with their feelings? Can I encourage you to confess your fault in the matter? Can I encourage you to attack the problem, not the person? Can I encourage you to cooperate as much as possible? And when you're done with that, can I encourage you to emphasize reconciliation, not resolution, because it may never end. I would imagine in a room this size, with this many people, some of you are currently involved in some bruised relationships. And it's not pleasing to God. And I have to continually remind myself, in those bruised relationships, I am responsible for me. I can't fix you. Trust me, I have a hard enough time fixing me. I can't fix you. They have to do but you will stand before God and give an account for you. But it's going to take being filled with the Spirit. It's going to take practicing the same love that Jesus gave. It's going to practice, take practicing humility and selflessness in the attitude of Jesus in our daily living. Apart from that, nothing will change. And you continue to live with the bruises. And the bruises hurt. You know what I found in life is that bruises do eventually go away. But some bruises last longer than others. I found that when I bump my knee in the right spot, ah, oh, that hurts. Or as I say, when you hit your elbow on a funny bone, man, that hurts. And you find out the next day there's a little bruise. Sometimes they go away quick, but sometimes bruises last months. What are the bruised relationships that God wants you to deal with your part of? I hope that as we walk away that you just truly take that to heart. And come to the conclusion that I want to be right with God. Despite what anyone else says. I want to be ready with God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. How it's true. There are so many examples, Lord, of what we need to do in relationships so that they can be right before you. And I ask God that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, I know there are those that are hurting. They're in bruised relationships. Whether it be a spouse, whether it be a child, son, daughter, co-worker, friend, neighbor, relative, they're currently in a bruised relationship. Relationships that have kind of gone south, so to speak. 
love nothing more than to resolve it, get back to our merry way, but Lord, the reality of it is it may not be resolved immediately, but it can be reconciled. And I ask God that you would speak to hearts this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for a moment, no one be looking around. As we do every Sunday, as we hear the message of God's word, you have an opportunity to respond to what you heard.